1: Welcome back to that Chelsea Podcast, episode thirty. Tammany's Hattie. I'm joined, as always, by Jack Davies. How are we doing, Fella?
3: yeah i'm good
1: thanks mate yourself i'm good mate we won a game of football which is always nice and we've got a very special pod for you guys today we've not only got one guest not two guests but we have got three guests three of a few of my favorite people on twitter starting off with andrew what up what up what up brother
2: nick always a pleasure man yeah um i uh always always fun to come on the podcast and uh, it's nice to be joined by an, an american contingent um i know travis is usually a little bit more technically proficient um than i am so uh it'll it'll be fun to sit comfortably in the middle between uh between mike and travis and myself
1: <laughs> Yep. speaking of travis we've got travis making his first appearance on the podcast how are we doing man
4: doing well Nick and thanks for having me on it was a pretty good win today overall but you know it is still but yeah thanks for having me on I'm looking forward to it Uh, it is good to see some of the fellow Americans on here and uh, hopefully this is a great episode it
1: should be it should be and also making his debut on podcast it is Mike how are we doing fella doing great man I'm not bad I'm not bad right before we get going as always with guests I get them to plug their socials and. You know, with it being a quarantine, it seems like the podcast is also still on the rise. We've got two new podcasts for you guys to check out. Firstly, I'll get I'll start with Andrew. Andrew, you have started a podcast now. What is it called and what can people expect?
2: Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, the podcast is called uh, The Star-Spangled Banter. Um, it's between Kamal, Lump of CFC, and uh, Scott, American Hooligans, uh, and myself, so... Yeah, we, we spent a lot of time on the front end just trying to uh, figure out philosophically what we wanted to do with it. And so we're hoping to strike a little bit of a balance between Chelsea content and then general purpose, um, you know, dumb, menial conversations. So we really wanted to make it an extension of uh, of what the timeline is like by that logic. So we're hoping to instigate a lot of dumb, menial conversations with you guys and uh you know triage some dumb menial questions as well uh so yeah we're really looking forward to it and you should not follow me at carefree chorizo um on twitter.com it is a mexican marinated pork if you have any questions about what chorizo is
1: <laughs> right good introduction and also travis has got a podcast <laughs> travis what is your pod called, and what is it about
4: Yeah, so I started the Balanced Blues Brothers podcast, and you can find us at Balanced Blues Pod um, on Twitter. And I started that along with RJ, uh, who's been on your pod, that Chelsea pod, quite a few times. Um, Or you can find him at RJ underscore good things. And then I also have uh, Travis Tyler and Ola, um, who are joining me from Pride of London in this podcast. And kind of our goal was to build a a very balanced you know non uh, reactionary just kind of we didn't want to go with uh just all representing the same fan site and getting a lot of the same you know opinions because there is sort of a, a lot of similarity between fan sites at times or within fan sites but amongst them there's a lot of differences so we kind of went with that approach and uh kamal is trying to get involved with us but it's just very difficult because we're we're trying to record between Australia, Nigeria, and, and America, and with his 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 family situation makes it tough. So he is another member of the pod, but just hasn't been able to find a good time to record yet. Um, and yeah, we just kind of try to bring a more um, uh, balanced, nuanced, you know, subtle discussions to to the table as opposed to just kind of you know reactionary screaming and yelling stuff that you see a lot with these pods and streams. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of what we're about. You can find me on Twitter at crossroads underscore CFC.
1: Nice one. And as fate, Mike is here, and you will occasionally hear him on the worldwide chelsea pod as well. Right. We got to start on Tuesday. We lost 2-0 to Leicester City. Jack, it was pretty shit, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, the less said about that the better, to be honest. Um yeah, shocking. Just Score by errors for both the goals, terrible defending. Um, you can say things quite going our way, like I know it wasn't a penalty, but it was that close. Then they go and score two minutes later. Just not quite dropping dropping for us, but it wasn't good enough. Um and it was an absolute pain to watch as a Chelsea fan.
1: Yeah. I'll just kinda of
3: sweep round all you guys for a quick thoughts. Andrew, thoughts on Leicester?
2: Yeah, it's nothing that it's like what Jack said, it's nothing that we haven't hashed out um in conversations on Twitter. And um yeah, there I think that the the speculation around Frank almost detracts from how despondent of a performance that was from us. So yeah, uh echo Jack's sentiment on that front.
1: Fair Travis, just how bad was that Leicester performance compared to recent performances?
4: i mean yeah it was probably one of the worst it was i mean i don't know if it was as bad as city was because city made us look like we didn't belong on the pitch over a 20 minute span i don't know if Leicester really did that but you know we had a really bright first 10 15 minutes it looked like we were going to be the ones to have the attacking impetus and bring it to Leicester, and then it all fell apart so badly it was it was just a terrible performance i mean and I'm sure you've seen all of like the uh, the images of the formations facing from Twitter. But yeah, it just seemed to be little to no, little to no formations. And you know, if they were playing a tactic, it, it wasn't a very good one. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a pretty low point for me. It was tough. Um, kind of had my mood down all week. And I was just kind of on, you know, walking on eggshells waiting for uh, that inevitable notification from ESPN that, uh club statement Chelsea Football Club so very happy that didn't happen maybe is a sign of things that are changing and you know giving managers a little more time now or uh, potentially it might just be kind of the same situation with Conte and Sorry, where we knew the end was was already coming before it was there but you know performance bad I don't really feel like anybody played that great except for Mindy you know he had a couple of good one-on-one stops and overall I mean I didn't think he was at fault for those two goals um, yeah just not a good performance
1: fair enough mike any idea what's what's going so wrong at chelsea at the moment
5: i mean it, it, there's a combination of several things i i think for me it's it's always to you know everything that we've talked about uh, um and he's been mentioned the low you know low morale no energy on the pitch um Travis, absolutely. Mindy was a good, bright spot. Uh, Mount played his ass off. You, you know, I, I don't think that there's any question about that man's heart. Um, hopefully we can get into Mason Mount a little bit more in this episode. But, uh, but, yeah, I think overall, man, it's just, you know, there's a combination of bad luck, little to no morale, energy. Um, but it's also the the good the, – I guess the the good news about that is I don't think we can play any poorly. Uh, or any uh, poorer for that matter. I think it's. Uh, I think we could see, um, I'm optimistic at least I should say, that we should see a, a better performance and a string of performances here now that we're playing some teams that are not in the top five, top six for that matter.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Um, I guess I don't want to spend too much longer on this. Probably the midfield we sort of alluded to was a big issue. Travis, I mean, I guess always going to be issues when you've got a midfield of Kovacic, Mount and Havertz?
4: Yeah, I think, that you know, maybe that midfield could work. It was more of like a sorry system, but that's that's the past and we don't live in that anymore. Um, I think that as we've seen a number of times, both this season and some of last season, when we run the Jovisage double pivot, it, it just isn't very effective. I don't know how else to put it. Um, you know, each individual player can be a really – uh, effective and, and provide a lot to the team on their day in the right system. But in, in a four-two-three-one, I, I don't think we need to see a whole lot more of Dresditch and Jorginho in that, in that role. Um, and, and even Jorginho together, or, I mean, with other players is sort of a, a liability defensively um, in, in that lone DM role, even if we shift to a 4-3-3 with Kovacic and amount, because it becomes very, very simple to play, to create overloads against Jorginho because of how much space we leave between him and those uh in those two center mids at, in front of him. So yeah, I think every time you're if we do go with these this Jovisic double pivot or we go with uh you know a lone DM that's not Conte, I think we're gonna be, you know, having some troubles in the midfield. And that's really not anything that's new. Even last season we saw a lot of this, especially during the restart when we were shipping a lot of goals but still getting results because we were scoring more goals. Uh you saw a lot of times we were just overrun on transition because of how we set up our midfield.
1: Yeah fair enough uh mike any other positives other than mendy on tuesday i thought purely was probably one of a few along with mason that looked like he was trying but yeah
5: no that that's it um i can't i can't think of anybody else besides those three players to be perfectly honest with you um and it, it's just a matter of um this team needs to figure out i mean and i, I think that's also the other piece to this thing too that there's a lack of identity and I think there was a report that somebody had, um, I forget who it, it might've been Simon Johnson that it was quoting a, a different report, but I guess there was players that were, um, you know, going to the press talking about how they're not quite sure what, you know, what the team is. And Frank's constantly chopping up the, the team and putting, you know, players in and, and, and constantly rotating players. And there's no defined, um, starting 11, which, to be fair, that's that's absolutely uh, an issue because um, that's that's something where we need to figure out what this team is going to be and what the shape of this team is going to be because um, we're already midseason. We still don't know <clears throat> who's going to be in the back four, who's going to be in the midfield. We, I mean, obviously injuries do play a factor in those things, but barring injury, Who's our starting 11? I don't think anybody could really and truly give us a a firm answer on that, bar Mendy, for that matter, and Mason, for that matter. Yep, no, I agree.
1: Um, I guess we'll park Leicester Vez, say both goals were pretty, yeah, just appalling, defending, really. despite all that negativity we actually won a game today so sorry sorry for maybe the slightly depressing start to podcast we beat luton 3-1 in the fa cup Tommy abraham got a hat trick happy days uh before we get on to the question i'm going to sort of talk about three individuals uh quick actually no i'll include four because i know mike wants to say something on one individual in particular um but firstly jack mason mount was captain beautiful times beautiful absolutely beautiful yeah. inject it inject it right there
3: exactly been there since he was six or seven I think so that must have been a very proud day for him and his family and fully deserved see the leadership he's shown in that team when we've been down and out in games and we've all been playing poorly he's the one who shows something every single time I saw some ridiculous comments in on Facebook and Twitter earlier like why is he not giving it to Zuma and shit like this it's like uh, fuck off honestly <laughs> I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, He 100% deserves it. And again, he was good. But good good again, never lets us down. Uh, And that's why he's been our best player this season, hands down.
1: Love that, love that energy. Andrew, Mason Mountain is captain. Beautiful, beautiful stuff, wasn't it? And, you know, another solid game from him.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how can you, how can you fault, what Mason Mount has contributed both this season and and last season, you know, people, people that reduce uh, his contributions uh, talk about statistics being inflated. Like it's just such an unproductive conversation. He um, when, when we look shit, is when he shines when we look despondent and lethargic is when he shines the, the match against Lester, the match against Fulham, you know, that was a, that was a tangible result of the one person on the pitch who was both paying attention and also giving a shit about the match. So uh, it is absolutely deserved. Um, yeah. Jack, Facebook is a cesspool. Um, shouts for, <laughs> shouts for Zuma to captain because he's a center back and that's just lazy logic. Um, you know, the article was circulating about Mason um getting the band, you know, the the blood, sweat and tears article recently. Uh, you know what? Like I, I don't know if that's something that you can implement instantaneously. Like he's he's a young kid, he's still forming habits, but boy, like the habits that I see and uh and and kind of the level that he just by proxy of being adjacent to other players. Um, he he raises that tempo and he raises the effort. Um, super happy to see him get captaincy today. And uh, uh, I would not be surprised to see that happen much more frequently in the future.
1: Yeah. Uh, Travis, obviously, you know, there's no Thiago Silva or uh, Cesar Azpilicueta today. Mason Mount, you know, future captain and also a well well-deserved choice for captain.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think you look at the starting 11, and I when I saw that he was capping the side, I looked at everybody else in there, and I, I don't think you're going to be giving it to Kepa. Uh, <laughs> I don't think you're going to be giving it to Christensen. Um, you know, I think Reese doesn't really, uh, to me, he doesn't strike. I know he's young, and, you know, he has. doesn't really strike me as that leader profile right now. So, I, yeah, I don't really think there's a better um, shout than, than Mason. The only other one would be Tammy, but that's sort of an awkward fit. And it would be basically more giving him the captaincy upon results and not really the, the intangibles that go along with being a captain uh so yeah i think it's great for mason and i what i find most uh impressive about mason is it, it's just overall hard work um and i know like you know you might get dragged on twitter for talking about like passion and desire and these uh these adjectives that get thrown around that don't that people claim don't mean anything but there is something to it and it's You know, I think it was uh, Johan Cruyff who said that, like, you know, 95% of the game you won't be touching the ball. So it's what you do off the ball is significantly more important than what you do on the ball. And I think Mason embodies that very well. Um, You know, I think he's always pressuring. He's always getting involved. And, you know, I look back to the West Brom match in the beginning of the season. Um, You know, that was terrible, let's be honest. And and before Espelicueto was on uh you know he went on and brought a little more new uh back in leadership but uh mason was really the engine that drove that forward that could that uh, that comeback draw so and, and i think it's so impressive that you see a guy to have that influence from the position he does the age he does and the experience he has or lack thereof compared to other you know players that are so influential uh for their squads you know so I, i'm not trying to compare him here but you see like uh, you see, like, on Man City, you see, like, De Bruyne plays, like, all of the passes and just does all of the work within that system, it seems like. And it seems like Mason does a lot of the work and is really kind of the engine within our system, and that's how it's set up. So I think he is – and the fact that he's an academy grad makes it a little more personally special. Now, I mean, the only thing I would say is I thought that Azfulcueta should have started today. But, um, you know, without him in the lineup, yeah, I think Mason looks like a – look like a, you know, a good future captain for us if that's the route we
1: Fair enough. Um, the second player I want to focus on. I'll start you, Miss Mike Kepper. Man, first shot on target, your face is staying, it ends up in the back of the net. Both weak At least wrists. Tried. <laughs> 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 is, is that what we're left with now? Um, I, I, what it's... nice,
5: go on. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, no, I just what, sports sports all Kepper today.
5: Hey, man, I you know what. Yes, that that's that shouldn't have happened. Zuma's got to do a better job, though, of of getting in there. I think if Rüdiger is playing in that in that in that spot, that shot's blocked. Um, That shot doesn't even see Keppa, for that matter. I mean, and I'm just and I and I know it's we've I'm operating with the benefit of hindsight here, Um, and there's some big ifs with that too. I mean, it's not like Rüdiger is has been this you know model of consistent play and defensive player um, at least from the the time that I've been watching him for the past couple of years but uh, this season he's been fine um, so I understand getting Zuma some time here in the FA Cup but yeah I think if he does a better job of not <clears throat> jumping out of the way and actually getting in there and and trying to block that shot doesn't doesn't see Keppa furthermore Keppa did a fantastic job on the other two shots as well um, so I don't want to sit here and, and bash this guy and, and things like that, but that's something you've got to, you've got to stop that one. Like, how does this happen? Like you did, you did everything right on the other two shots, but this one here in particular, you put pressure on everybody now. And, and yeah, I, I don't think anybody felt pretty good about that when we're up to one and you got the likes of Christensen back there who could easily have done what Christensen has, been known to do. Lose his man, fall down, not get up, and the game's tied. Um so yeah, I, I look at this and I go, man, um he it was it was a pretty standard kepa game. He conceded an easy one. He actually did a really good job on a couple other shots. Good on him. I mean at some point at least he tried.
1: <laughs> yeah. Fair enough, I think it says that's the response it says, it, oh I'll just be really quick on this one uh travis kepper why does he still even play in the cups man i know i made an important save at 2-1 but
4: yeah. So i think the reason he plays is comes down to probably politics and finances um you want to keep this guy somewhat happy and give him some chances to keep his ego and confidence high enough that he might still be able to get a Euro spot because it doesn't look like anyone's really taken a bite on a loan option or by outright this uh, winter window so I think that's some of the politics behind it but also the more you play him the uh, maybe his ego responds his confidence responds and his performances respond in these cup matches and therefore he increases his value whenever we move him on in the summer so I think that this is more of this isn't really a uh, picking the best 11 as much as it is look this guy still has something to fight for for his, for his country uh, very soon with the Euros um, approaching and he also you know still has a, a resale value for Chelsea to achieve and if we keep him in the bench and we exile him and never give him any opportunity then the only thing that a potential buyer is going to remember is you know last season where he conceded 13 more goals than expected um, so I think a lot of that is probably what it comes down to is managing his ego and trying to get his price tag back to a more manageable uh, state in terms of Chelsea's opinion so that whenever they do sell him, that the loss that they're gonna take on him financially is at least mitigated to some degree. Um, So I think that's part of it, but yeah, you know, credit to, like Mike said, credit to where it's due. He did make some good saves and he, you know, he did show that. It was kind of reminds me of the Europa League where he'd make some bad saves, but still concede some goals. Um, but, yeah, that first goal was poor. But uh, I, I thank you, Mike, for bringing it up about Zuma because I don't think he goes unscathed or, you know, I don't think he's immune from criticism for that first goal. But it still, at the end of the day, comes down to it. You're a 72 million British pound keeper. Where Where is your – you know, what you just expect more. I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to bash Keppa and go into it too much. But you just expect more. And – I understand some of these maybe are not fully his fault, but at the end of the day, world-class keepers improve their backline by mopping up those kind of mistakes like Manuel Neuer or Jan Oblak, someone like that. So that's that's kind of where I stand on it. He doesn't deserve all the blame for that first goal, but damn does he deserve still, you know, pretty good share of it. So I, I don't want to blame it all on him, but I'm not trying to absolve him of blame either and
5: Yeah, Nick Nick Pope
4: uh, stops those goals. <laughs> For sure,
5: <laughs> Nick Pope propaganda. For anyone
1: who doesn't know, Mike absolutely adores Nick Pope, so uh, that, that's why. number
4: one fan. Not even <laughs> Nick Pope's mom, it's Mike.
5: <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly. Exactly. The Pope.
5: I told you, dude, we could have had if we would have bought him, it would have been the Pope of Stamford Bridge. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, <Right. yeah. laughs> um, before I go to Michael Christian Pusich, I'm to go Andrew Tammy Abraham. He starts, he gets a hat trick. What more can the boy do? He take he gets given a chance and he takes it.
2: <laughs> yeah, i uh, It it's tough because you know, the outliers always stick out um, on social media in terms of sentiment, and uh, it it was really dejecting to see people having a go at Tammy and and kind of reducing the hat trick to a series of tap ins when, you know, you juxtapose him against Timo Werner, and I would love for Timo Werner to be scoring a hat trick off of, you know, whatever limb he can against whatever opposition he can as well. So I'm, I'm incredibly happy for Tammy. I, I love the, uh, the statistic. I, I believe what it's the f- the first Englishman to score a cup hat trick since Frank. Um, I, th- I think that's, that's wonderful. Um, and I think that's a, a testament to how difficult this is. Neither of the goals were, were poor either. They were, they were both. You know, relatively technically adept goals. I mean, you know. Um, so yeah, I'm 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 incredibly happy for Tammy. I I have no idea how to cut our our striker situation at the moment. I I don't think that Timo should be deployed on the on the wing. Um, I want to see Timo succeed so badly, but you you can't argue with the striker that's in form and. You know, I don't think it's something to be reduced just because it's cup opposition either. I would love to see that form against Wolves. You know, that that could be the difference. So, incredibly happy for Tammy,
3: yeah.
1: Yep. Jack, final thoughts on Tammy? Boy, you done good today?
3: Yeah, really good. I think he's he's sort of going under the radar this season, um, especially at the start. Didn't play as many games as he probably would have liked because of the new signings. Then Giroud on form. but. I think I saw he's the first Chelsea youth team product to score ten ten or more goals in a season in a season for two se- for two consecutive seasons since someone in, in nineteen eighty two. So yeah, I mean you've got and he's still only twenty three. You've got to give him that um, that slack there. I know it's against smaller team there today, but. Yeah, I just honestly just think he goes under the radar and he gets a lot of stick from people when he's when he's pulling numbers up this year. It's, I think he's got nineteen goal contributions now, and if you ask me, that warrants starts over other strikers that aren't performing. Yeah, and that's to be fair as well. I think that's why we might we might see that four four two deployed again as well.
1: Fair enough, we have got a question about Saul John's flat later. Yeah, I think, and the thing that impressed me there, Tammy is link-up play as well. There were a couple, I remember there's a moment, he just fizzed the ball out wide to Callum when he was on. Mm -hmm. Some of his distribution as well. I think people just, you know, Tommy gets dubbed as Bambi on ice and, you know, just gets viewed as, oh, he's only in the box as a poacher. There's so much more to his game than that. And he is, it pains me how disrespected he is by our fan base, particularly online. When, When he gets given a chance, he rarely lets us down. So now I'm happy for Tammy. He did his job today, and you know he that third goal got the end. Eases any nerves, and it was a you know good good day for yeah. Chelsea. We're going to get questions. Our first one comes in from Conarc, and I'll give this one to you, Trav. Stav. Should we stick to the four four two in the Premier League, or is it going to open us up when teams create an overload against us in central midfield?
4: Uh, uh, that's tough. Um, you know we haven't really seen a two striker set as the preferred option. Uh, under Frank, it's typically been the four-two-three-one, four-three-three, or a three-four-three adaption. Um, so uh, I would be surprised if you see a uh, if you see a two-striker formation being predominantly used going forward. But I think that uh, to kind of go off what Jack was saying there about you know what we saw today might give us a little suggestion that the four-four-two could be used. I think that it's going to be potentially a good. Option for Wolves as they, I know they don't really play a back three as much now. They kind of have moved to a back four, if I'm not mistaken. I don't watch a whole lot of Wolves matches though, um so you know I could see the 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 problem that we had against Wolves. I thought in the first match was that, you know, all get that goal. He got the goal. It's only real was put Drew in the box to put those two center backs there try to move it out wide to space out the, you know, the, the flanks, draw them off and then cross it into Giroux and hope that he can just beat two center backs. Um, And as we saw that tactic got us a goal, but it got us a loss, no points overall. Um, So I think that for me, I think what you need against Wolves, you need somebody that's going to move them around more. And I think Tammy does that very well. You know, as you guys said, he has a good link up play and he has good, uh, you know, he has good finishing overall. I know people will say that he misses big chances, but again, that's to me a ridiculous stat because go look at Robert Lewandowski who scored what, the goals last year and he missed like 45, 50 big chances. It happens. You, If you have good positioning in the box, you're gonna miss big chances. It's gonna happen. I'm sorry. That's the way that statistic works. Um, it goes both ways. But I, I think that we could use a two striker set more and especially against really low block teams, you can almost see us run a four to four if we're really going for it. But i the problem is that, you know, we've seen that the overloads in midfield happen very easily. Um, and a lot of that is the is the, the problem is we have way too much space between the midfielders and the defensive center backs. And we have no real cover on the flanks because we use our full backs as essentially wingers in attacks in, in this 2-3-5 that we play. And so I, I'm really hesitant to say that we go ahead and use this 4-2-4 a lot. I think it would be very matchup dependent, and even more so than matchup dependent. I think it's more of an in-game switch than a you know show your hand from the start of the kickoff. That that's how I would approach this one a little more uh, regarding the two strikers set. I'd use it more as an in-game switch as opposed to using it as a as a starting formation. And I think that too, if you start out with a four-two-three-one, you can easily with Kai at the ten, you can easily adapt that into a four-four-two and put him more as a second striker you know or shadow uh you know second striker center forward and like a four four one one or something like that um i think there's more flexibility used uh in game management with that formation as opposed to switching to that as the main formation um because i think it would eventually we have we have a lot of strength in the midfield let's not not to shirk away from that and maybe minimizing that from three down to you know two midfielders and given the issues we have in transition may not be the best but I think if we're chasing games or trying to break them down, it's a good option. So sorry to go a little long on that one. Um, That's
1: fine. I was going to say, uh, I'll give you this next one, but it's similar. It's from Tom. He asks Is Mounting Kante balanced enough to play a 4 4 2 slash 4 2 2 against Wolves? I love the idea, but I think it does leave us open to the counters if we don't press right. Plus, they both like to press high, leaving nothing behind. But the 4 4 2 looks so much better. I think it's worth risking.
4: I don't know uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't I mean it's it's all nice and well to sit here and say after we play you know two forwards from the off and it really did look a lot of times like Werner was kind of playing either behind Abraham or next to him and, and it, it even looked to me like at times it was a four-two-four. but uh you know I just worry about it because the, I'm not, not going to sit here and look at Luton town and, and overhype this and oh, we played two strikers, look so great again. I mean, guys, it's loot in town. Like, that's what we have to – we have to be measured in our responses and not get carried away and overhyped, as I think the fan base so commonly does. Um, so I, I'm hesitant to say that, yeah, this is going to work, so on and so forth, because the issues in midfield have always been that we get overrun and we get overloads and we can't we can't defend in transition. And then taking those numbers down from three to two Logically, would suggest that we're only going to have more of those problems because I don't imagine if we switch to a four-two-four that Lampard's tactics to you know to use the fullback so much in the attack are just going to go out the window. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea. That's what I, I again, I'll suggest it's a very good thing to have up your sleeve for an in-game management change and in-game tactic change. But uh, I, I just don't. When, I'll just ask this: When's the last time Chelsea have played a four-two or a four-four-two or a two-striker set? Um, it, it just Chelsea. isn't very common. And, and I, I don't want to like you know act, act seem like I'm you know pushing back against the question. Um, I, I just don't want to get carried away with what we saw today and, and start saying like this is what we need to change the formation to because we could because we broke down Luton Town three times. We should go ahead and start playing two-striker sets. I, I'm not really ready to say that. I think it's. The, the formation and system will probably still remain typically like what we've seen. But I, I think maybe in game management is where you'll see a lot of these tweaks made. So uh, I'll leave it there. Let's, let's get somebody else.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll actually move that question on. Cause you gave a really good answer there. Um, Andrew Murray asked, what did you make of the Mount and Billy Gilmore duo in midfield?
2: Yeah, I, um, I really enjoy that pivot. I, it it's interesting because a lot of shouts that we've seen are for a more pragmatic pivot in terms of having ngolo paired with another dedicated uh defensive minded midfielder um like a like a declan and ngolo pivot um what you get with mount and billy as a duo is uh a little bit more diminutive i know ngolo stature wise is also a, a a small player but They're, they're both tacklers between him and rice. And again, that's all speculative because rice isn't a Chelsea player. Um, I, you know, earlier in the season when I was just, you know, four, two, three, one, we're going to get the best out of Kai Havertz this way. Uh, it suits the wingers that we have in, in playing a more narrow, um, on, on their strong feet. Um, you know, I think Mike and I even talked about previously a, a Gilmore-Conte pivot. Um, I I like Mount and Gilmore as a pivot. I think Mount's shown his aptitude to be able to play that way for England. Um, he's shown it in recent days with Chelsea as well. And Billy Gilmore. I mean, as soon as I saw the press conference comments that uh, were still open to loaning him out for the rest of the season, I mean, my heart dropped. So... I think Billy Gilmore absolutely has a a spot in this team. And, uh, you know, whether he's the deep lying playmaker um, kind of in a, in a six role in a midfield three or a pivot um, where I think he's probably a little bit more insulated uh, Mason Mount and, and Billy Gilmore are two players that I absolutely adore. Um, So I would love to see them uh, in, in a pairing like that. Um, You know, whether it's, Billy Deep as a six and Mason as an eight, or, or in, a, in a double pivot. I'd, I'd, my heart would melt uh, to, to be able to witness that at some point this season.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Jack, we'll give this one to you. Uh, it was got by multiple people, uh, Zed and Harry Vales. Other than uh, Tammy, of course, who do you think deserved a man of match? Maud was the best player on the pitch. So, other than Tammy, who do you think were the best players on the pitch today?
3: Um, I think we mentioned Mason already. thought he had a good game. Billy, honestly, I thought Billy was quality. Um, he just makes it look so easy. Um, just, he's just so much better than like if we put Jorginho in there. Honestly, he's always trying to look forward and play the pass forward every single time. And what I love the most about him is just he's always trying to play one touch as well, and he just makes the triangles between playing out from the back look so easy. Um, and I know he's played in games against lesser teams, but I think when he's shown he's shown every time that he's capable and I think that warrants him starting starting a game. I know we said he should have started against Leicester, didn't I I think he deserves a start soon in the Premier League and see what he can do there. Um I was for Callum Callum was quality when he came on again, changed the game. Straight in straight in there, uh shown attacking attacking instincts at the back post, took shot and then uh Billy and him combining for that for that uh, third goal was I mean it was a quality team goal from being camped right in our our, court, our own corner flag and then going up the other end but yeah just his directness to take people on we miss that when he's not playing um, so I thought he he had another great game it's just with him he just when he gets this chance to start he needs to take it because I know against Leicester we were all we were all poor but. He, he did nothing and we're crying out from start and he just didn't do anything the other day. So it's just one of those with him. I know we say he needs, he needs more games. He needs the consistency, but he really needs to try and grab that chance when he gets given it.
1: Fair enough. Um, Mark, come to you on this. Cause I know you, you know, you even brought up in, in our sort of group chat earlier. Do you think Callum and Gilmore should start games in the league? Obviously I know you sort of feel quite strong about Christian Pulisic uh, on this as well. Uh
5: I mean, here's the thing. Um I will never um, be upset if one player starts over another, and we get a win. Um, and I hope I'm I hope I'm wrong in in this respect because it, it it's it, the the team's success should always be put first. But I have to look at this from <clears throat> the the quality of the player and and the the at least from the proven um, track record since Pulisic has been on, has been with Chelsea here. He's, he's our, he's our best winger. Even when he's playing poorly, he's still, he's still one of our players on the pitch. Uh, He does off the ball. I think um, off to goes overlooked um, because, you know, I think the one stat that everybody wants to jump out and look at is, uh goals and assists and things like that of course or the two stats i should say um that being said uh not to take anything away from callum today he he came in and he did his job he came in and made an instant impact um which i think is is fantastic um but i think um he's i think he's more suited to be that super sub i think for him to come onto the pitch and and come in and, and, and inject some energy into this team uh, when the the other with the opposition being you know tired or whatever. Um, I think it suits him better. Um, but I would not be upset at all um, if Callum started. We won um, and Pulisic came off the bench and and also had had made an impact on the game as well. Um, as far as Billy goes. Um, to quote our, our our buddy Jordan, man's just here. Uh, I look at him and I go, man, he 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 can do the job. He can do the job in 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 so many different areas of that midfield. And and not only can he do the job, but he, it seems to me, and it stands, and I can't figure this out, but it stands to reason that the guy can do the to can do the job in a lot of different areas pretty damn well. And sometimes we just need that nastiness in there, and I think he provides it. Um, so I'd love to see him get some more um, run time as well, whether that's coming, you know, onto the pitch as a starting 11 or or being a sub. Fair enough. Uh, Travis,
1: I'll go to you on this because RJ asked, this is one of part well, two questions. Given Callum's impact from the bench, was Frank justified in injecting him as a sub rather than starting him?
4: Uh. Yeah, and this is, uh, you know, RJ is a co-host with me on the Balance Blues Brothers podcast. And this was something that one of our other hosts, lot brought up was that uh, if you look at the numbers for show, when he's used as a substitute, it's significantly better than when he's used as a starting 11 player. Um, you know, his goals and assists are actually more as a substitute this season than they are as starting 11. I'm pretty sure on that statistic, if I remember our conversation right, so, uh, to answer RJ's question, yeah, I think he was right to do this. And it does seem that show he, it, so for me, okay, Sho's a very young player. He's had a, a career-threatening injury with an Achilles tear, which is, uh, I mean, in generally, uh, in almost all sports, after Achilles, you don't come back with the same amount of explosiveness and acceleration that you once had. And your changes of direction can also be affected because your, you know, your explosiveness and, and ability to turn is reduced because of the injury. It's a really nasty injury. Um, and I think, so when you look at the larger context, you know, he was starting to go through a really good patch under Sari. got this terrible injury. Um, I think that was against Burnley at home is when he had that. And then he, you know, it's a long way back. And I think what we're seeing now is when he comes in as a sub, I feel like he might be better as a substitute because what he's doing as a young player is I think he's watching and learning and, and kind of getting a feel for the game before he's on the field, and he is maybe learning from the bench with the 60 minutes he's on the bench, he's learning as a player and having his own self-discoveries, which is a, a huge part of getting any player to be better, is making them uh, have the self-discoveries and learning moments. And and I think that Frank's management has been very cautious and chepid with with Callum Hudson-Odoi, but his impact as a sub is uh, starting to become – lethal, uh, to put it in one word, as opposed to what it is as a starter. And and I think that overall he's learning and he's getting into the game and showing that he is internalizing what he's seeing from the bench and then going out and making it happen. And I think it's just a matter of letting, letting this cycle continue and then I think he'll get to that point in his career where he doesn't have to sit there and see the game. He can just, you know, he can get right in and, and go with the flow and figure it out. And I think maybe that's just where Frank that that's my opinion of where Frank views Callum's development at right now.
1: Fair enough, uh, Andrew. I'll go to you on this one. A uh, couple people asked it. Uh, R.J.'s question was: Did Timo do enough to earn a start against Wolves? Obviously, you know, I thought he had a pretty good game, apart from missing the penalty. And Dean obviously, Dean has asked: What do we do with Timo? So, what thoughts on Timo today, and what do we do with him going forward?
2: Yeah, I agree with you, Nick. I I do think that um, that Timo had a a good game against Luton. I it's it's a precarious situation with strikers specifically because it is such a confidence role. Uh, the The penalty, while we shouldn't benchmark a performance off of that, because I I would still say on aggregate, Timo had a a, a great match against a a cup side. Uh, again, you know, we always have to add that asterisk. Um, I don't think the question is as much about does he merit a start because his performance was fine uh, on a whole. He was getting into some nice areas. And, you know, I, I don't know if I'd run a 4-4-2 against Wolves specifically. Um, I think that'd be great against more low block opposition. But I do think that that would let Timo play a little bit better um, and emulate kind of uh, more how he was deployed at Leipzig the the question is more where is timo at mentally uh, is he going to be taking chances against wolves um, i i'm a proponent of going for the striker that's in form uh, i if we're playing with a sole striker i think we go with tammy and what we do with timo i don't give a shit as long as he's not on the left wing again because i just it it, it really is not pleasant to watch i had hope when we played liverpool and he got pocketed by fabinho i tried to keep hope um, but the linearity of him on the wing is really disappointing um when when we talked about the versatility of him and kai over the over the summer uh seeing him on the wing it's like yeah let's let's give it time you know he's he's acclimating and and It now becomes when when can we stop having the conversation about acclimation periods. Uh, So I I think personally, I I go with Tammy against Wolves Um, and what to do with Timo. I don't I don't think that Frank's mismanaged him in terms of rotating him and bringing him off the bench in, in more recent fixtures. Uh, I do think that Frank's mismanaged him in deploying him on the wing. But at the beginning of the season, I would have thought that he would have been more than proficient as a left winger in a pinch, especially with the injuries that we had. So um, what to do with him, the, the The positive side of this is that he's still a young player. Um, and I don't think that he will be dejected by getting rotated any more than he'll be dejected by what happens in his performances on the pitch. So... Tammy, Tammy for Wolves in my eyes. And I, I I hope that that's not reactionary based on a result against Luton.
1: Fair enough. Uh, final football-related questions. I'll go to you on this one, Jack. Davey asks, okay, so today was a cup, but genuinely, do we make far too many changes week after week in the starting lineups? And then during games, do we need to make the sub sooner? I don't know what you think. but City was far too late. Leicester also. And even today, Callum could have come on earlier.
3: Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those, again, you can, you can say that, like, we make too many changes, but we've been playing poorly, so you need to make changes. It's just one of those, he'll make changes, then it's not working. People say, why well, have you changed it? Then he won't make changes. No, why hasn't he made changes? It It's like that with the starting team. I do understand that, yeah, we probably have made too many changes and mixed it up too much, but I honestly think it's... Honestly, I think it's almost that Frank's got too many players to choose from, to be honest with you. He and he just he still doesn't know what his best team is. Like we said earlier, you could probably say it's Mendy and Mount that are on the team sheet straight away, Thiago Silva when he's fit, but other than that, or Chile as well on left back, but other than that, you've probably got a second guess and just go on form. Um, and then substitution during games, yeah. I mean, we've had that conversation the last few weeks, definitely made, against City, made them too late. Um, and that's happened quite a lot this season. You're sitting there, we're playing poorly, and you think he's got to make a change at half-time. And we barely ever see any changes at half-time from Frank. Um, and today with Callum, um, to be honest with you, I wouldn't say that was too late, my, from uh, in my opinion, today um yeah i wouldn't say that was too late for me but people entitled to their own opinions he did make a big impact when he came on um but yeah overall you'd say we do make subs too too late and not don't make a like reaction to in-game situations quick enough
1: yeah no i agree with that especially when we're losing i think with frank it's a common theme that he does he always waits 15 to 20 minutes of the second half before he makes a sub but the fact that this so often there's very there's basically never any change for me it's 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 those games
3: it's those games where we're playing so poorly you need a change yeah waiting another 15 minutes isn't going to do anything it needs to be changed asap
1: yeah no i agree completely
4: does anybody feel that we, uh, like regarding this question, that there's too many changes made week to week with the starting 11, but then not enough changes made in game?
1: Um, I'm trying to think of big changes. I guess for Rudigus Zuma, one, you know, it's maybe a bit odd, but again, we sort of discussed Rudy's not really done it wrong. I don't no. think, I think midfield is the issue. Yep. Yeah. I yeah. think midfield is the issue because we went, you know, Kovacic and Jorgin- Jor- Jorginho is back from sort of a blue against Fulham with Kovacic, and then against Leicester, Jorginho's is out. You're playing Kovacic as a you know at the base, which he's not done. You then play Mount and Havertz. Yeah, I think in midfield is where the the changes are an issue for me. Mm-hmm. I think up front, I don't, I don't think it's a huge issue because we've got the quality up top out yeah. wide specifically and up front. You yeah. know. Gerudo and Tammy have been in good form, but for me, it's the midfield that's the biggest issue when it comes to rotating.
4: Too many cooks in midfield, right?
1: Yeah. Well, he's got, you know, he, he's playing because this thing. I don't think, you know, we didn't really touch on Kovacic. I thought, good cameo today. Uh, but against Leicester, I thought as a lone DM, he probably did, I don't know, as good as you could hope. He didn't yeah, really, I, mean, I, d- yeah. I don't think he offered protection to the back line, but I don't think he's really responsible for the two goals conceded.
4: I thought it was interesting today that Kovacic wore the armband when he came on.
1: Yeah, that was, again, I guess, you know, he was on pitch. Reese. yeah, I guess that was, Kovacic probably one of the more experienced players, isn't he? I I guess that's saying something, so (laughs) yeah, that was was interesting. But um, yeah, unless any of you guys have anything else to add to Travis's uh, point, I'll move on to the final non-footy question. Um, all right then The question comes in from Michele He loves asking these questions And I said this to the boys before uh, Andrew I'll go to you first If you had to bring home a Sasha Baron Cohen character to meet your parents As your significant other Who would you bring home and why
2: Oh Jesus it's. I love Michele as well And uh, I appreciate the question But uh, yeah The last thing that I want to think about um, on a, a hungover morning is Sasha Baron Cohen's catalog of, of films right now. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm really gonna give a cop-out answer on a recency bias because I'm just not gonna bite on the uh the the literal like dick windmilling of Bruno and you know all of that. Um Trial of the Chicago 7 on Netflix, uh phenomenal uh, film about uh protesting the vietnam war uh he was an anti-war activist in that film i think that you know short of uh coming out to my parents that probably the best way to mitigate damage was would be to um uh come home with an activist and i I think fortunately my family would be more on that side of the spectrum i'd like to think that my family would have been anti-vietnam war so um yeah cop out answer i'm not gonna give uh i'm not gonna say dictator i'm not gonna say bruno i'm not gonna say borat um trial of the chicago seven uh would be my film and yeah i i think my parents would be cool with it hopefully yeah andrew would bring home abby hoffman there you go,
1: Michele, there's your answer. Um, there you are. Travis?
4: I mean, I kind of expect this from Michele at this point, but uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of like Andrew, like, yeah, I'm not going to say Bruno, not going to say dictator, but, you know, I might go with Borat because I could like, uh, you know, probably just pass it off as like a green card marriage, that it's not real. It's just, uh, It's just to help this guy out and get him to learn and like get him a, you know, get him immigration status here in the States um, and get him out of Kazakhstan. Uh, is it what number one potassium producer or whatever they say in Borat? <laughs> so that's probably what I would say. You know, again, it's pretty, uh, I don't know if that's the answer that McKelly's looking for, but that's the answer I'm going to give him.
1: Fair enough. Uh, Mike?
5: Probably go with the. Uh... Uh, Jean uh, Girard from uh, Talladega um of Nights*. He's a suave Frenchman. Um, of course, I wouldn't. I haven't. I've made no. I've made no bones about it. I would totally date Olivier Giroud. So this would be the next closest <laughs> thing. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't think anybody would 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 bat an eye at that either. Um, and uh, he's successful. So yeah. Um, nothing wrong with that at all.
3: Fair enough. Jack. Um, yeah, like the boys have said, <laughs> not something you really want to answer, is it? <laughs> um, probably Nobby Butcher from Grimsby. Love that film. And a massive football hooligan in that. So it will be a good one to take down the pub and i watch the Chelsea with. So i go through. Fair enough.
1: Uh, just just for shits and giggles and the pure drama it would cause i'll 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 i won't i won't do what we've said i'll take bruno um it, which, <laughs> <laughs> just just, just <laughs> i just want to i just want i just want to see What's drama of uh, uh, the world you know and if, if if the world burns you know you burn with me type thing um right that wraps up a fantastic episode of about chess podcast perhaps slightly longer than usual but when you've got top guests you know, what can you expect, uh, before we go, I'll get boys to fun to plug their socials on that podcast again. So Andrew, where can people follow you on Twitter?
2: Yeah. Uh, again, um, carefree chorizo, um, C H O R I Z O, uh, Z O. Um, so yeah, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure guys. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Um, every time this was, uh, this was a lot of fun and, um, fortunately on the, the tails of a win. So, uh, so thanks again. Yep. Uh,
1: Travis, where can people find you on Twitter?
4: Yeah, you can find, you can find me at crossroads underscore CFC. And then you can also find me as the host of the Balanced blues brothers podcast. And you can find me writing mostly analytical articles for the Chelsea social. Um, and I just want to say, uh, thanks again for having me on. It was a lot of fun and I, I you know, I appreciate the, uh, the invite. Um, and thanks again, hopefully we get to do it sometime again in the future. Maybe I'll have you on our pod as well and uh it's been a lot of fun everybody thanks
1: yeah it's been good fun and finally mike where can people follow you on yeah uh
5: atx cfc i don't really post a whole lot um typically it's just to troll people that have takes that i don't agree with um There's usually one i try particular. to get myself <laughs> just to our, yeah yeah our, our gc um yeah and and yeah, this is really nice to to be able to put a, to see people's faces cuz i for the longest time had no idea that travis was caucasian um so this is good
2: <laughs> that's really the people
1: good people who, who don't get that travis <laughs> used to have a tiny avi on twitter for anyone who doesn't get that
2: <laughs> oh, that too well oh um,
1: <laughs> What a way to end, Mike. What a way to end. Um, Jack, it's been a pleasure, as always. Thanks, thanks for joining me, bud. Um, no problem, as, mate. Uh, as for us, you can follow us on Instagram, at ChelseaPod, on Twitter, at ChelseaPod, and we're on your usual podcast platform providers. And as always, everybody keep the blue flag flying high.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network. 18 plus.